I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844-COSENTIX. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill? For me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flibanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who knows that podcasting is a battle that is won in the trenches. Here is the cap Podcasting will make your life go into the trenches. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. We are still sipping on some fantastic Midwest IPA by the Great Lakes Brewing Company, one of the OGs of craft brewing. Midwest IPA, it's hoppy, piney, very clean tasting with a hint of citrus ABV 7%, garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And cheers to our friends for filling up the old garage fridge for us. First up, cheers to Katie from Aurora, Ontario. And last but certainly not least, we have a We Like Your Jib going out to Jamie Gorton from Fort Greg Adams, Virginia. Everyone we mentioned, they went to our website, clicked on the pint glass, and helped us out. Thank you all. Yeah, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, beer run. Make sure you go to truecrimegarage.com and sign up on our mailing list. And Colonel, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
When we left off yesterday, Captain, we were talking about a situation where we have 21-year-old Johnny Clark, and he's staying at his 20-year-old girlfriend's home, Lisa Straub. The home technically belongs to Lisa's parents, who are away on a vacation. So not only are they staying there, but as everyone states, they're also house-sitting while the Straubs are gone. We left off at the point on our timeline where Johnny's parents have been notified by a woman named Tiffany Williams. Tiffany Williams is 24 years old, and she is an air quotes friend of Johnny's and Lisa's. And she, through another person, alerted Johnny's parents of a couple of situations that occurred that night. One, that she was on the phone with Johnny Clark at about 1041 that night, and that she had heard what sounded to be a disturbance. That Johnny sounded like he was interacting with somebody, didn't know what was going on, and it might be a situation. She is then saying that after about two hours, she decides to drive out to the Straub's home and check on her friends, Johnny and Lisa. And by getting no response at the door and getting no response on their cell phones, she now has alerted Johnny's family that she's concerned and she thinks that something is wrong. Where we left off yesterday, Johnny's parents are at the location. They're on scene. Police have been called twice. Maite, Johnny's mother, called police 911 twice, and they sent out Lucas County Sheriff's Office on two occasions, back to back. Lucas County observes the situation, takes a look at the house. They knock on the door. They shine their flashlights. They see no probable cause. And they have no probable cause to enter the home. Nobody present after receiving those calls can give authority for the authorities to go into the home. Now, one thing that's very interesting here is that before the police leave the scene, the sheriff's office deputies leave the scene for what is now a second time. One of the officers pulls Johnny's father, John, to the side and says, look, man, not being a cop here. Father to father, I can't tell you to do anything, but if this were my son and he was staying at his girlfriend's home and I'm arriving to this scene, I would wait for the police to leave and I would bust into the house to see what's going on. Now, the officer is saying this, and and the reason why I think that this is important to note here Some people have said, well, I don't understand why the police wouldn't just go in. They can't just bust into a home without probable cause. It's called the law. Now, the other thing, too, is they cannot just tell Johnny's parents, yeah, break a window and go in. They, They cannot witness a crime. They cannot encourage a crime to take place. They cannot witness a crime and then do nothing about it. So this guy's saying man to man, father to father. And here's why I believe that this officer says this. When they all arrive on the scene, here's what we got going on, Captain. Yeah. The Straubs, the parents, Lisa's parents who are gone, they they own three vehicles. Okay? Two of those vehicles are in the driveway of this home. Nobody's answering the door. Johnny's father, John, is quite the strong guy. He's a bit of a bodybuilder, good-sized man. So when the police are on the scene... He actually physically is able to lift up the garage door 
just enough that one of the cops gets his head down there, looks in, and inside the garage, they see the other Straub vehicle along with Lisa Straub's car inside the garage as well. Johnny does not have his own vehicle at this time. So what's weird is the two youngsters, Johnny and Lisa, who are staying there and house-sitting, all their means of transportation are there present at the home. There's no vehicles missing from the home. And then you compound that with Tiffany Williams saying earlier at 10.41 p.m., I'm on the phone with Johnny, and he's saying, what are you doing, bro? Who are you, bro? As if that there's some kind of commotion at the house. And I'm very thankful that this officer encouraged the Clarks to do something, to take matters into their own hand. So what the Clarks do, they leave. When the cops leave, when the sheriff's department leaves, they follow them out of the neighborhood. And then the police go one way and the Clarks go another way. They drive around for a bit, just long enough to make sure that the sheriff's department is gone from the property. And then they come back. The Clarks just don't bust in, break a window, bust into the house. They have a member of their family that is there that is a service member in our in our military serving this great country who says, look, I either I need to leave before you bust into the house because I don't I can't afford to get into trouble. I have a rank and a job and everything. Let's let's give us reason to bust into the house. So they're going around and they're looking in the windows. They can't see anything because all of the blinds are closed. Now, around the back side of the home, you know those windows, Captain, where you have the uh, the arc at the top? So it's not your standard rectangle or square window. It is on the bottom, but at the top, there's, an, there's a glass arc, a window pane. This portion of this window in the back of the home there's no blinds up there. Often there is not when you have that kind of decorative window, but there are blinds on the lower portion of it. So one cannot see into the home. This is a window that goes to the kitchen. So what they decide, because there's several of the Clark clan there, if you will, they decide to boost one of the lighter individuals up. Remember, John Clark is quite the strong man. He's going to lift up one of the other family members who now can look into the home through that window pane without the blind on top or without any coverings. This person sees two individuals lying on the floor inside with bags on their heads and they appear to be bound. Now, seeing that, witnessing that, will now ignite a new fire. And that is a third 911 call from Johnny's mom, Maite, to emergency services. Oh, my God. You need to get the police out to Long Acre Lane. My son is in the basement tied up of this house. I just saw him through the window. I The police out here earlier and did absolutely nothing. Both cell phones are on the ground and we can see the people. Him and his girlfriend are tied up in the basement. Okay. All right. We'll get them out there. Get the cops out here. I told them earlier. And they hey, man, to me. You need to calm down. We'll get them out there. But yelling at me is unconscious. They're unconscious, ma'am. Oh, okay. You said they're unconscious? Yes. 
Okay. All right. Cell phones on their bodies. With cell phones on their bodies. Okay. He only has pants on. Okay. And the hands are tied. Okay. All right. We'll get them out there, ma'am. Oh, my God. Okay. I need you oh to calm God. down. We'll get them out there, okay? Oh, my God. Please hurry. All right. We will. Long Acre. Okay. I have Long Acre Lane. I have the address. We'll get them out there. Goodbye. Seems so ridiculous that these dispatchers are so concerned about somebody staying calm or not raising their voices at at them. But uh, this obviously will give police probable cause to enter the the property, which they're not going to need, because what happens here is when you hear Maite on the phone with the dispatcher. And you hear that she's kind of, you know, they're tied up, they're unconscious, cell phones on their bodies. He's only got pants on. The pants are tied. Right. She, the reason why she's saying it and delivering it that way to the dispatcher is because she's not seen any of this with her own eyes. Remember, they had to lift a family member or some other person that was there up into the air, hoist them up to see inside of the home. She is relaying what is being told. It That scene is being described to her, and then she's immediately describing it to emergency services on the phone. Right. So that, that will explain her kind of d- odd delivery, because this is news to her as she's telling emergency services. Meanwhile, while she's on the phone trying to get the police back out there and ambulance now, John... After he hears what's going on inside the house, he sprints around to the front of the home and with a single kick, damn near kicks down the front door of this house. He runs inside to the kitchen area. Now, remember, we hear Maite saying that they're in the basement. She, she doesn't know exactly what room that they're looking into. They've never, the, the Clarks, Johnny's parents have never been right. inside this home before. And so John, the father, runs in. He finds two persons' bodies lying in the kitchen. And he rips the bag instinctively, and rightfully so, rips the bag off of one of the individuals. And unfortunately, it is his son, who is still unconscious, unresponsive. And then he rips the bag off of what would be clear to him is Lisa's head right? and gets the same result. And he then says that he, he went to go outside that he needed to get out of there. He gets out, he goes outside and on his way out or once he's outside right now, things are moving very quickly and the parents are, are completely in shock. So their statements, it's a little unclear how these things panned out or played out and it's not really important in my opinion but what we do know is at some point he he runs outside and he says he just loses his mind he doesn't he doesn't even know what reality is for a while and he says that at some point either on his way out of the home or on or once outside of the home he tells his wife what it is that he witnessed maybe he says something like johnny's gone or johnny's dead to which she then faints right so that's what takes place shortly like immediately after this 911 call 
And so what we have at this scene is we have, we now know it's Johnny. We know it's Lisa. It seems like they were bound. And then there were plastic bags were placed over their heads. But do we have anybody seeing, do we see any type of blood? Or what else are we seeing at this scene? Well, we'll go through we'll go through the evidence and through the what they were able to witness at the crime scene. But one thing we need to point out here too is that did we play the second call? Tiffany's? No. What was that? No. So after Maite's call, Tiffany Williams, who's still at the scene, she then calls and makes a very brief call to 911 and she's stating very much of the same that was just stated by Maite Clark. Right. So she has a very brief conversation with the dispatcher and at this point the the police emergency services are already en route. And it's surprising that uh, Tiffany hasn't left at this point because at some point there's kind of accusations coming her way as far as like why did it take you so long to react to them not answering their phones and then you know they're at the crime they're at the scene trying to figure out what's going on and then you have johnny's mom saying hey are you involved in this did you set my son up with something and just so everybody can follow along with our timeline here the report i have captain states that that third and final 911 call from Maite comes in at approximately 3.50 a.m. So obviously the whole family is in a state of shock. It's hysteria. Then law enforcement comes back onto the scene, and obviously now they're able to enter the property. Yeah, and we've reviewed a lot of cases where Emergency services have, have told us that if, if they can get to a scene and someone has, for lack of a better term, expired 15, 20, 30 minutes prior to their arrival, that they've they've witnessed and been a part of situations where they are able to actually save that person's life, bring them back. And I'm including that because it's important to our timeline to narrow down the time of death for our victims here. Now, what we have here, Captain, is John Gaines, as we said, John Gaines' entry to the home. He discovers Lisa and John that are, they're both bound at the hands and neck with plastic bags over their heads. He instinctively rips the bag off of his son's head to expose his face, but gets no response. John then moves to Lisa and does the same, only to get the same sad outcome. She, too, is not responding. Deputies from the Lucas County Sheriff's Office respond to the scene yet again, this time along with firemen shortly behind them who will perform life-saving efforts, but tragically this is to no avail. The two youngsters have been out for far too long and they are officially gone at this point in our timeline. Sources report that when the bodies were discovered, that Johnny's head was facing west with his hands and feet bound with black duct tape and the same black duct tape was used to seal the bag at his neck. Lisa was found facing East. Her hands were bound behind her back with duct tape. 
with the same similar bag as uh, what was found on Johnny and the same duct tape tightly wrapped around her neck as well. Now, one difference between the two victims here is her legs were not bound. So when you hear in the 911 call from Maite saying he's only wearing pants and the pants are tied, what she's trying to say is that his legs are bound. Like they use the tape to bind up his, him at the ankles. Right. And so he's wearing sweatpants. So this black duct tape would have been obvious to them, even from outside looking from perched above that, that arc pane window, window pane. And Lisa is not bound at the legs. Now she did say that, that you know, he's only wearing pants. Well, they have an obstructed view and the crime scene the reason why there's an obstructive view is because they're found in the kitchen and from their vantage point, some items that will be in the way will be the kitchen table as well as some of the table, the table and chairs. Okay. So what they cannot see is actually both of them are fully clothed. Both of the victims are fully clothed. However, the, their shirts are bunched up toward the top of their bodies. And so it appeared that he has no shirt on from looking outside, looking in. Now, as said, both their shirts appear to have ridden up to expose their stomachs. But investigators noted that this did not seem to be in any way or any form of sexual assault or any type of sexual way, but rather because, as it would appear to investigators, both victims were moved after having been bound. So they were dragged and the victim's shirts then bunched up to their chest. Right. As the likely result of someone or very likely, especially in Johnny's case, someone's dragging the victims across the floor to stage them or place them in the kitchen. And I say someone's because look, I get it. You're dragging someone and that, that takes away some of the weight here. But Johnny's five foot 11, 205 pounds. So he's not a small boy. Um, it probably, I, I would, I would wager a Franklin captain. It took two to move him. So I think we're looking for at minimum two perpetrators in this horrific, horrific crime. Brian, like you said, we don't have evidence of sexual assault, but do we, we were told earlier that the house looked like it was ransacked. Do we have evidence that the motive, the motive might, might've been a burglary here? You're spot on here, captain, because still to this day, this, this horrible crime takes place very early 2011. We're sitting here in the garage, 2023, and it's unclear to this day what exactly the motive was now as we get through this i think that our listeners will see and maybe share the same opinion that we have that that there might be more than one motive at play here now especially if we are to consider that we may have more than one perpetrator so some more details from the crime scene an empty wallet is placed on Johnny's bare stomach. This would turn out to be his wallet. Some have suggested that the wallet left in this manner by the killer 
was as if to send a message. Both victims displayed signs of petechia on their faces. It was very clear to Lucas County Sheriff's investigators that a struggle had taken place. Now listen to this level of damage inside here, Captain. Level of damage inside the Straub home. Per the police reports, there was broken drywall, a clock torn off the wall, a plant knocked over, and then there were many, many, to say many items were scattered about is to put it very conservatively. Right. It also became increasingly clear to authorities that the garage was the most likely must have been the point of access for the intruder or intruders to get inside of the home. And here's why. There was damage to the interior service door, or as longtime listeners of this show know that I like to call it the man door, meaning this is the door that the people walk through, not the door that the cars go through. Right. So there there's signs of forcible entry into the home, and they're getting that from the man door from garage to the inside of the home. They're not getting that from the garage door. The garage was closed when police first arrived on the scene. The garage was closed when Johnny's family's on the scene. Remember, dad had to lift up the garage door, the car door, so that the deputy could look inside and see that there were two more cars inside the garage. So... This is indicative that whoever decided to bust into the home or intrude into the home, the garage door was either open for them to receive them or was already open when they approached the home. They only had to bust into the man door. And they were so kind enough to close the garage door before leaving the property. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844-COSENTIX. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill? For me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flibanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at addyi.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. 
If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. All right, cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Colonel. Onward and upward. Yeah, thank you, Captain. Now, this is very likely protocol for a double homicide in most jurisdictions in the state of Ohio. I'm not certain about this jurisdiction in particular, so this is either protocol or simply the investigators realizing that they need additional expertise for this case and this crime scene that appears to have a lot going on. Lucas County Sheriff's Office detectives, they rather quickly contact the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation, or BCI for short, for their assistance in this case. So now we have BCI there to assist in processing this crime scene. As observed by the Lucas County Sheriff's Office when BCI had arrived, we we get Special Agent Supervisor Ed Beerstad who notices that the crime scene does not only show signs of force or forcible entry, signs of obvious struggle, but now this officer is saying we need to include that this house appears to have been ransacked. And, I mean, let's say very ransacked, because I've seen the pictures, very ransacked if we were to try to discuss levels of ransacking. Yeah, we'll try to post as many photos about this case and, and the people involved, obviously. And, and those are, you can always find those on our social media. So we have, to put it short and sweet, we have cabinets that have been opened, drawers pulled out as if, as if someone's searching for something. Now in the master bedroom, the mattress was pulled completely off of the box spring uh, as if to reveal anything potentially hidden under the mattress. In the walk-in closet, we have clothing that is, you know, torn from the hangers and thrown all over the floor. But but question for you, because sometimes when we have a house that, quote-unquote, looks ransacked, is it staged to look that way, to, to throw law enforcement off of what the possible motive of this crime would be? Yeah, and we have a, a dresser that's overturned. A panel leading to the attic space is, is open. And as said, there's damage to the drywall, uh, significant damage in areas of the home to the drywall. And this is one could be both clear sign of struggle. Usually it is. But we usually cover cases where there's not this level of ransacking going on inside the home. And so I want to point out something here, too, that the destruction to some of the drywall could be happenstance from a struggle. Look, Johnny was a tough kid. If with, with these intruders, he's not going to just allow them to just walk into the home. He's going to put up a fight. So there's our struggle. But on top of that, with all this ransacking, keep in mind, some of this damage to the drywall may be part of, more part of the ransacking than just that struggle. It also makes you wonder because like you said, we have, we have two victims. So do we have two perpetrators or do we have 
even more than two. We also find out that Lisa's purse had been emptied and Johnny's wallet was empty as well. Strangely, however, there was jewelry that was in plain sight. And some have stated that this was overlooked, but I, I don't think that it was overlooked. Because it, one description we get is that a jewelry box was opened to expose the jewelry. And for whatever reason, they decided not to take anything that they saw there. We also end up learning that something that was in the home prior to the homicides and remained there afterward was six envelopes containing foreign currency. Right. So whoever is responsible, they take Lisa's money, Johnny's money, if he had any, but they pass up the jewelry. They pass up other valuables inside the home, TVs, computers, things of that nature. And they pass up the foreign currency as well. Were they able to talk to Lisa's parents? And was there any idea of uh, maybe a special item that these individuals might have known that they had that they were looking for? Because also, like, you can't discount uh, a robbery if there are things missing. But, like, for example, you see foreign currency, a, a criminal might go, what am I going to do with that? I'm going to have to try to find a way to exchange that into our currency mm -hmm. uh, or they see jewelry. What am I going to do with that? Right. Where's right. the value there for me? Right. And, and look, you can sell those items, but now involving another person, you're putting yourself at a higher risk level of getting caught, getting apprehended. And so, when I see a scene like this, it's confusing though, right? It's, it's confusing. And you're right to point out it, was it made to be confusing? Was there staging here? You know, it's not uncommon. Husband kills wife or wife kills husband out in their home and they ransack the place or, or make it look to be ransacked. Now what's, what's interesting though, is detectives and cops are pretty good at seeing a scene and knowing when somebody is doing something just to do it or when somebody's doing something that they've done before. You know, they can look at a scene at times and go, you know what, this looks like whoever was, air quotes, ransacking the house didn't really know what they were doing. Almost like they were doing it purposely to confuse the scene. Right. That doesn't seem to be the case here. We never get any investigators saying, like, we think that this was a staged scene. This place looked like you, you let loose a pack of wolverines inside the house and they tore it all up. Yeah. But also, because of things that you mentioned, like the mattress being turned over or the, I think you were saying, like, the attic entrance, mm -hmm. to me that goes, again... Was there something that these people thought was at this property that they were trying to find? And wouldn't we know this information from Lisa's parents? Every closet that had a door in that home, the door was found open as if somebody went through the home looking in every nook and cranny for something. And this is where things start to get really weird. 
because the first people that you're going to talk to are family and friends of the two victims. And one thing that they start to find within some of those circles is this thought or some kind of rumor that there was potentially a safe in the home containing large amounts of cash. Right. Now, we have the Straubs, who thankfully can tell us a couple things. And Captain, you know it. What's one of my favorite things to discuss in these cases because it is often, most times, the most important detail of these crime scenes? Transference of evidence. The intruder, the killer, the perpetrator will almost always leave something at the crime scene knowingly or unknowingly that could lead you back to him or her and almost always will take something with them knowingly or unknowingly that you can link perpetrator to crime. So in this situation, the Straubs tell us a couple things. One, we do not own a safe. Two, we don't keep large amounts of cash in our home. In fact, they tell the police the only money that would have been in the home aside from some change jars would have been $40 or $45 that they left for Johnny and Lisa to order pizza one night or two nights. That's the only money that they said that they had in the home. Now, transfers of evidence goes the other way too. So what do we have missing from the scene? We have that $40, $45 if, if Johnny and Lisa didn't spend it prior. Right. We have Lisa's money, okay? Keep in mind, what did she work that night? We know she worked as a server at the restaurant that night. Usually they walk away cash in hand. And so we can assume, we can make the logical assumption that whatever money she took home with her from her work that night was taken. And then we know Johnny's wallet was found empty. So whatever money he may have had. That was gone. That was gone as well. But there's a possibility if the, if law enforcement is saying, hey, it looks like these guys were looking for possibly a safe, that it's possible that they're at the wrong residence. Oh, it's most certainly possible. I mean, th- when I hear this thought that there's a safe in the home and it could be a, a huge mistake, you know, you instantly think of in cold blood who was that the clutter family that's killed because these two criminals in, while they're in prison, they hear this bad rumor that, that the family had a, a safe with $10,000 cash in it decades and decades ago when $10,000 was a whole heck of a lot of money, much more than it is today. And they go in, they kill the whole family. No safe. Right. We covered the Cheshire murders. Now those two horrible monsters subhumans they claim that they believe because it was a rich wealthy neighborhood that they were they believed that they would find a lot of money inside the home and that maybe even a safe and a lot of valuables they don't find that people don't live that way today most people walk around with cards right plastic and the, and I said it, and I made my point very clear on the Cheshire murders when we covered it. I believe that Karma Sajewski and those perpetrators, I think that 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 rape and murder was 
as much, if not more, of a driving factor to them than the potential of finding large sums of money. Well, no, and and also sometimes people are house poor, you know, where they they have a big house and all their finances go to paying for that house. They don't have extras. Unfortunately, I'm garage poor. Me too. But so your garage is a little bigger than mine. We got a couple of other things going on at the scene, though, Captain, that we need to get to. We have two knives that are missing from the the block that would be in the kitchen. Right. And we know that duct tape was found on our victims. Lisa's parents tell police we didn't have any black duct tape in our home. And so now we know that the killers did bring something with them. Right. And beyond the money, just the cash, they took something with them as well. Now, the bags, a little more difficult. I think these are pretty common bags. And I believe that the Straubs said that they were of the belief that the bags would have been found in either in the garage or somewhere in their home. So now we got to deal with this duct tape. And that's really interesting here. So what we have... Let's talk about these items. Did not have any duct tape present at the home, according to the Strops. So it must have been brought with them to the scene. Now, some have said that this may imply premeditation. Yes, of course. Yeah. But premeditation of what? Murder? Robbery? Torture? I think it's too early in our investigation to conclude premeditation of what? Now, one of the investigators collects a Newport cigarette butt found in the hallway by the door to the garage, the the man door leading to the garage. Nobody in the family is a smoker. Nobody in the family is a smoker. And then on top of that, yeah, uh, according to Tiffany Williams, they were going to come over and hang out at the house and, and, you know, not really a party, according to Tiffany Williams, four people just hanging out at the house. There weren't, the Straubs had a strict rule against that, but they also had a strict rule against smoking in the home. Nobody was permitted to smoke in the home. And as we just covered, there's no smoker that lives there. So this Newport cigarette butt is going to become just as important as the duct tape that was found on our victim. Well, and because like you said, there's so much ransacking that you have to now, you're going to be testing for fingerprints and you're going to be testing for DNA. But some evidence that we're going to have to go through, you know, as far as law enforcement going to have to go through at the scene is what happened to these two victims we know that they were bound and we know that there was bags placed on their head we know they're dead but how did they die yeah so the petechia is going to be one of the telltale signs of what may have happened to them and i say may have happened to them because when once we get the medical examiner's report it's a little inconclusive so it's both deaths ruled a homicide, no doubt about that. What becomes a problem, and not a major one, but something that is undetermined, is that they can could not tell if they died from asphyxia from the bag being placed over their heads or from the tightness of the duct tape around their necks. So maybe it may have been a combination of both. They, to put it short and, and not sweet at all, they died of lack, lack of oxygen, both of them. And one thing that is 
unique about this case, and I think it's usually important, not always, but I, I think here, given the crime scene and what we're seeing at the crime scene and some things that we've hinted on already here, Captain, is there was some concern to try to determine who died first, and they were not able to conclusively figure that part out. Now, what the crimes, here's what the crime scene is telling the experts that some kind of struggle with Johnny went down either outside, just inside of, or at that man door, right? The service door leading from the garage to the home. So signs of a struggle there. And they, they believe that struggle took place between Johnny and the intruders. That's how the intruders gained entry into the home. Now, unfortunately, no, look, none of these cases are easy to talk about. None of the details are easy to talk about. But what the crime scene indicators are telling the investigators is that when this is happening, when the commotion is heard by Lisa, she tries to run and hide. So she runs upstairs to the upper level to her room, closes and locks the door behind her, and it's believed that she attempted to hide underneath her bed. The intruders go up the stairs, kick in her door, mm-hmm. and drag her from out underneath of that bed. Unfortunately, a couple of things could have happened differently that, that may have saved at least Lisa had she fled out a another exterior door rather than flee to her, her room. Yeah. Um, there was a fire escape upstairs that she could have potentially gone out of. And her cell phone, unfortunately was found was believed to be in another part of the home. So she flees up to her room with no chance of calling anybody for help while she's in there. Now, look, we, this case sucks. I don't mean to scare anybody, but we do get these false senses of security, right? Like we, we close our bedroom doors at night because we're told as children that if there were to be a fire that you can, you can check the, touch the doorknob and see if it's hot. It will yeah. prevent smoke from coming a large amounts of smoke from coming into your room. Lock well, the, lock the door so that you have one more barrier between you and a, and, and an intruder into your home. Those doors, those bed, our bedroom doors, they're not strong. They're, rarely are they even solid doors. They're usually hollow doors. Speak for yourself, mine are solid doors. In most cases, Captain, they are hollow doors that are yeah. easily, easy to kick in, number one. It's like one. cardboard. Exactly. Or, I mean, yeah. I've, seen a, I've seen people punch right through them. For, forget about kicking through one or using your body to throw into the door. She did, she went into flight mode. She's 20 years old, man. She's a little kid. She's a kid. She she did what a kid would do. You see you see something that you don't understand that scares the hell out of you and she she attempted to run and hide from it. Yeah, there's a if I'm law enforcement, the the call that the friend hears Johnny say, "Bro, what are you doing?" To me that points to one individual, but we we again, we don't know did he see one individual and then the next individual made themselves known after that, after the disconnection of that call. But because there's 
two victims. And like you said, I mean, Johnny's not a small guy and you have to move that individual, the amount of ransacking in the house. This again, it points to at least two. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think if you're law enforcement, you can rule out the possibility that there's even more than that. Uh, because you have to then bound the, these individuals and that would be very difficult. And we don't have any evidence if the intruder had a gun or not. So again, sometimes you can control multiple victims by yourself. If you use a gun or you use a weapon or there's some other threat but in this case, it just seems like it's brute force is well, what was used to control these. And you're, exa- you're exactly right that you don't have any proof that, that the intruder or intruders did not have a firearm. But what you do have is you have proof. You have things suggestive at the crime scene that they did not. Right. They, they did not use a firearm to kill the victims. There's no bullets that are found. There's no bullet holes that are found. There's no loud gunshots that are heard by anybody in the neighborhood. And then you have these clear and obvious signs of a struggle. One at that man door, which is Johnny fighting off whoever's coming in. And also somebody busting through Lisa's bedroom door and dragging her down the stairs. And so those struggles are indicative that one, you're not able to control them with the firearm. You have to use, as you said, brute force. And then on top of that, the premeditation, right? We don't know what it is premeditative of, right. but binding the, the knowledge of going, of knowing in advance, you know what? We should probably bring some duct tape with us because I, we're probably going to have to bind one or two of these individuals at some point. Well, and I bet, and I would bet money that they, uh, if they brought the duct tape, that they brought the bags with them as well. One thing that that's, I think that's fair to say that, but keep in mind, we have the Straub saying they believe the, the bags came from somewhere in the home and they would know better than us. But here's the thing, Captain. One thing that that is going on immediately early on in this investigation and one thing that police will continue to struggle with throughout the course of this investigation is the... Tiffany Williams telling them that Johnny's saying, bro, what are you doing, bro? Who the hell are you? And they are trying to decipher what they are hearing secondhand through Tiffany Williams. Does anything that, that Johnny is saying in that moment, does that tell them that he can, that he knows who this person is or knows the people or one of the people that are attempting to invade the home or does he not know them? And Tiffany Williams and law enforcement will have changing and differing opinions at times in this investigation about that matter. But the other thing we also need to consider, again, unfortunately, Johnny's not here to tell us his side of that conversation, of that short phone call that took place at 1041 p.m. that night. We only have Tiffany Williams to tell us what she says that Johnny said on the phone. So much more to get to in this case. You're going to have to join us back here in the garage next week. But until then, Colonel, do we have any 
recommended reading for the beautiful listeners. This week, Captain, no surprise here. We are recommending Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community by the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In 1967, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. isolated himself from the demands of the civil rights movement. He rented a house in Jamaica with no telephone and labored over his final manuscript. Here, he lays out his thoughts, plans, and dreams for America's future with a universal message of hope that continues to resonate. King demanded an end to global suffering, powerfully asserting that humankind, for the first time, has the resources and technology to eradicate poverty. Check out this week's recommended reading, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You can find that title and many great other recommendations on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't live. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill for me? That's right, the little pink pill. And it's called Addy, A-D-D-Y-I, or Flavanserin. Learn more about the little pink pill at addyi.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at addy.com slash PI or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved little pink pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I dot com.